This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, it was a two-game week for West Bromwich Albion. One one-goal victory and one defeat by a goal as well. So two games of contrasting emotion, although I would go as far as to say two pretty decent performances from Albion. And ironically, I would probably also go as far as to suggest that uh, Albion potentially played better in the game they lost than the one they won. But we'll come to all of that shortly. However, much like many a great movie such as Fight Club, Pulp Fiction, American Beauty... We're going to start at the end and Pete, we're going to kick off today talking about the moment which lost Albion the game against Leicester City at the Hawthorns on Saturday afternoon. Harry Winks' winning goal, uh, Leicester breaking clear from a long throw from Albion as they tried to win the game, having equalised in the 89th minute through through Josh Mazur. And I thought the quotes from Carlos Corbran, which Albion put out on their Instagram account after the game were... Very interesting. He said that um, there were two or three actions uh, in the um, in in the goal which he felt tactically we could have done better with. However, he was very clear um, about the over his overarching th- feeling on the goal, which is that he will never ask the players to change the mentality of trying to win a, a home game late in the match. So whilst he felt there were certain things we could have done better in that goal, he had no problem with the players going looking for the winner. Now, we've all got our own personal views on that. I personally, I was, I was right behind that throwing and I was I was screaming at Albion to put another player back with, with Townsend. I could kind of see what was coming. I I was happy with a point and whilst, you know, it would have been lovely if we'd nicked it, I, I you know, I, I would have, 
I I would have sat on the point personally if it had been me, or I would have been at least. I thought the Rainbow Stand made an interesting point on on, on Twitter that the two are not mutually exclusive. You can you you can both try to win a game and also be a little bit conservative at the same time. You don't have to do one or the one or the other. And I, I tend to agree with that. And that's kind of where my mentality was at in that moment. I, I felt like we, we should have also protected what we had as well as going, going looking for, 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 the, for the winner, even if that meant we were less likely to get said winner. However, that's not Carlos Corbran's mentality. And we have to respect Carlos Corbran's mentality because it has not steered us wrong so far. So whilst I don't, it's not where my head's at, I respect Carlos's views. So, I mean, my question to you is, first of all, do you agree with with, with Carlos? Uh, I imagine whether you agree with him or not, you res- you certainly respect what he said the same as I do. And also just picking apart his words a little bit, Pete, it, it, when he talks about the two or three things that we could have done better in the in, in the build-up to that goal... What do you think they were? I've certainly got my views on them, but I'd be interested to know what what you think. Um, I agree with what he said. I'm, I really like the the intent to go on and win the game and take the gamble because if we do score there, we get an extra two points. We concede, we we lose one point. So you know the the gains that there are to be have outweigh the the losses. It's not like Leicester really left anyone up either. I think they'd basically got everyone. In fact, I think they had got everyone back defending. So it's not like Townsend was being outnumbered initially. Um, so I'm happy that we went for the win. It didn't pay off, but had it paid off, I think, as well as just the points, I think the actual boost for the players and the fans to beat the league leaders would be massive. And that, I would say, outweighs the, the maybe a little bit of loss of momentum that we might have because we lost the game. Because um, I think losing like that didn't really feel like... it didn't To me, it didn't feel like much of a soccer punch. It was disappointing, but... I feel you like weren't it. you weren't in that stadium as everybody got got up and left as Harry Winks stood, slid that goal into the into the back of the net, mate. Believe me, it did feel like I'd been punched in the stomach at that moment. Yeah, I'd, maybe it would have felt different if I was in the stadium. I was sat in front of the TV watching it, but it felt like it was the league leaders and they're going to run away with the league. I think it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was anyone's mistake or anything. It was just a gamble and it didn't pay off. So I think you just kind of got to accept that. I think maybe the things that we could have done better. I think the starting position of Townsend could have been higher, maybe ten yards higher, and then even push Alex Palmer higher up, so that Townsend can be quicker to be aggressive to go and get that ball if it does break out out the edge of the box. Because he kind of went in and then went out. I think if he'd been ten yards high, he would have been able to make his decision and, and go and win that ball. And then if they play anything over the top of him, then Palmer's a bit higher up to go and sweep that up because it's not like they're going to hit a shot from the edge of the edge of their box and lob Palmer so I think he can afford to be a bit higher up um, and then I think the, only, the other thing is that everyone in that box and around that box has to be has to know that if that ball even looks like it's going to break we're committing fouls not even just the man that's on the ball everyone else just stop the runners and just take the yellow cards left right and centre in in the words of a a famous uh, fairly famous rock song, you you would like to see the bodies hit the floor, would you, Pete? Yeah, basically, you don't have to hit, make them hit the floor, but just just hold on to them, just stop the runners. I think Malumbi tries to to pull the shirt of. Does he do enough? Because I've got to be honest, when when I was saying before, I felt there was things that could have been done better. The the primary one is Jason Malumbi, who 
I, I see as an extremely aggressive player and normally the kind who I would expect to rather cynically bring somebody to, to ground. But I think it's I think it's Ian Nacho, isn't it, who ends up slipping the ball through to um uh to to Kin and Dewsbury Hall. And he gets a bit of him, but he I just felt he got shrugged off a bit too easily and I I I, I don't know that that's not very Jason Malumby for uh, for for my for my money. I just I I expect Jason Malumby to almost cynically drag him down, kick his legs from under him. I don't know. I'm not in, I'm not encouraging violence here, but I'm I'm just saying that I've seen Jason Malumby in, in in previous games in games this season very cynically make absolutely no doubt that thou shalt not pass, and he didn't. On, uh, and it was unusual for him, but unfortunately, we've ended up conceding a goal. Yeah, I think Malumbi, he looked like he was trying to do it initially, um, but I don't know if, if it was Iheanacho. You say, um, I don't know if maybe Iheanacho was too far away to get a proper handful of his shirt, but I feel like the only the only thing that he could have done to actually get him down was a, a full-on rugby tackle, which, I mean, that's definitely a yellow card. But I think everyone, you just... I think everyone's got to be responsible to make the referee blows whistle there and just give a free kick. And whoever the referee wants to hand a yellow card to, they just take it because you don't necessarily have to stop the one with the ball. If you can stop all the runners and just hold them up, even even if the ref plays advantage, at least it gives the rest of the players a bit of time to make their recovery runs and get back. Um, so I don't think it's just on Molumbi to to make that foul. I think everyone's got to do their bit just to, to stop the counter-attack because... Everyone must have been aware of how open we'd have been at the back if if they did break through like they did. Do you think that there was we weren't quick enough to react mentally to uh, to uh, to that break, Pete? Uh, you say they they must be aware of the break, but I, I don't know. I it it seems it seems like especially when you look at the players' positions. By the time that uh, Harry Wink slips the ball into the back of the net. The the only player who's actually managed to get back with Connor Townsend by that point is the guy who took the throw himself, Darnell Furlong. I I just wonder whether mentally we were we were too slow to react to that situation. Potentially, that's where I think you probably need somebody before the throw is taken, whilst he's setting up for the throw, just to make everyone aware of their defensive responsibility as well. Because a situation like that, you're always going to be open to the counter attack. So if somebody makes that aware and lets I mean, even let people know that if this ball breaks, we're bringing somebody down. Maybe maybe somebody did. You can't really tell unless you're on the pitch, but I think that's what you need there. Um, and the recovery runs, I think a lot of the players were just shattered by that point. I know Yakuzla and Mo had already gone off, but by the time they'd gone off, they, they, looked, they looked like they were dead on the feet. Um, they put in so much work. And I think a lot of the other players did as well. I mean, Brandon Thomas and Sante towards the end of the game looked like he couldn't couldn't move much further. Um, I think everyone had put in such a shift that it was just so hard to to even muster the strength to to sprint back. But I think the performance on the whole, everyone deserves credit for. Just one more thing on the goal. I, I mean, you've talked about Connor's standing, starting position, but I imagine to a certain degree that the, there's a level of instruction there from where, uh, from the coach as to where he should be. So, uh, this it seems to have split the fan base to a certain degree, where on social media, where there has been some vilification of Connor Townsend for that goal. Now, and whereas other people have jumped to the, uh, jumped to his defence and gone, this is crazy. I have to say, I'm in the this is crazy camp. That how on earth 
can you vilify Connor Townsend? Okay, his starting position is what it is, but I, I would love to know, you know, we'll probably never get to find this out because Corbrand quite rightly will keep these things behind closed doors. But whether or not the two or three things that he's referring to that could have been better, one of them is Connor's starting position. And secondly, whether that's Corbrand's mistake or Connor's mistake. We will we will never get to find that out, uh, you know. Or the the only person who will find that out probably is somebody in and around the camp. I don't think Corbran will ever come out and talk publicly about that because he 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 won't he won't want to set a precedent where he confirms or denies whether a player needs to be thrown under the bus. But I think once the ball breaks, I've seen people saying. Oh, you know, Connor, he goes towards the ball and then he hesitates. If he keeps running, he could get there. I don't think he could. Secondly, I've seen people say, why does why why does Connor sort of peel off towards Harry Winks a little bit as opposed to staying central? Then he could possibly get to whoever they whoever Iheanacho plays the ball to. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. At this point as well, Kiernan Dewsbury Hall is clearly a lot quicker than Connor Townsend. Connor, for all his qualities, is not the quickest player on the football pitch. And the the, the advantage, the massive advantage that Leicester have got is that um, they're breaking from their own half. So, and that is what happens. Kiernan Dewsbury Hall runs into what would be, if he was in our half of the pitch, an offside position. But obviously, because he's not, he's not offside. So he can be beyond Connor Townsend when the ball is played, which he is. And Harry Winks is on the other side. I don't know what, honestly, I do not know what people want Connor Townsend to do. And I, I just feel like we saw this a, a little bit the other week. He he makes a mistake against Southampton. That absolutely was his mistake. But then you've got people trying to make out that the whole goal was his, uh, was his mistake. And it's like, well, no, Matt Phillips's job is to track the right back. It seems like any time a goal happens that is in an, an, and also, and we'll come to the first goal in a minute, but I've seen people trying to make that Connor's fault as well, which is crazy to me. And we'll, we'll analyze that in just a moment. But Pete, there just seems to be this thing where any time a goal happens in and around Connor Townsend, there's a bit of a campaign from some. And I'm not tiring everybody who has uh, um, who has said that the the second goal is Connor Townsend's um, fault as saying that they've got an agenda against Connor. Some people just honestly believe that in this one instance. But what I am seeing is enough stuff on social media around goals that happen around Connor Townsend that 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 I am very much of the view that there is a desire from some, not all, but some, to try and blame him whenever the the opportunity arises or even if the opportunity doesn't entirely arise still blame him first of all i don't understand why as a fan base certain areas of our fan base always seem to need this player to knock i don't get it and it's it's been it's been the case since i started going to the albion like i can i can go way back i can go back into the early 90s and talk about people like paul groves who couldn't do any, couldn't do any right i know ian hamilton went through a phase where the, where the fans just were, would not 
who would not give him any uh, any quarter for for ages when I was working at the club. People wouldn't accept that Mark Antoine Fortuné had real value. There was a point where Brunt and Morrison were getting beat up, and it, it's like uh, uh, Livermore in uh, last last season. I don't understand why we always have to do this to one of our own players. For me, Connor Townsend over the ninety minutes on Saturday had a pretty good game. Yes. His starting position for the second goal isn't great, but I w- I'd be interested to know whether that's his choice or whether that's instruction from Corbran and therefore the manager's mistake. But generally speaking, I thought he had a he had a he had a pretty decent game, and this uh, and this is backed up by the numbers as well. He uh, he he uh, he made the most clearances of uh, of any Albion player. Um, he uh, he won he won the most aerials. He made the most blocks. See, he he was defensively solid. He almost never gets dribbled by. And he doesn't even get dribbled by for the first goal. And I don't get why people are trying to pin that on him. And as I say, we'll come to that in a little bit more depth in just a second. But Pete, I don't I don't understand why, generally speaking, there always has to be a player that people want to blame when there's any mistake happens in their general vicinity. And at the moment it seems to be Connor Townsend that people just do uh, some, some, a small number of people just do not like. And I don't think, I don't think he's at fault here. I just do not think, uh, as I say, other than his starting position, I don't think he's at fault. And I think over the course of the 90 and the numbers back this up, he had a really good game. I don't think the goal was his fault at all, to be honest. Like you say, I don't think he would have made it even if he had committed. You'd need a fullback with an electric pace to, to be able to get to that, um, even Carl Walker is basically that. what you need in that in that position to stand any chance, isn't it? Yeah, and I was trying to think of an Albion player that he might be able to use, um, and the best I can think of is Christian Gamboa because he was very quick when he played. We just didn't see much of him. I'm not sure his defending was the the best, but in terms of pace, he was electric. So yeah, I don't think Townsend stood a chance there, and like you say, he, he missed the the added um, protection that a defender would usually have in. The kind of transition like that is the ability to play the other um, attackers offside. But when you're in the opposition half, you don't have that that luxury. Um, so it makes it even more difficult. Like I said, I think the starting position is the only thing that he could have really changed. And you'd imagine that that's kind of set up from the coaches and worked upon in training when you're setting up set pieces. The person that's defending, that's staying back and stopping the counter-attacks, you think that their starting positions kind of worked on in training and the coaches set it. So it's probably not even on Connor Townsend there. I don't think he had a particularly great game. I think he had a decent game. Um, but I think he had, he had a lot of pressure put on him and he, he dealt with that quite well. But def- definitely not terrible. And yeah, it's strange that he seems to be the the latest in line to be the, the scapegoat at times from some. I don't really understand it. I think he's a very good fullback at this level, as is Darnell Furlong and both of them seem to get quite a bit of criticism, not for long at the minute because he's playing really well. So it's Townsend especially currently and um, I don't understand it because I rate him very highly and yeah, I think we're quite lucky to have a player like him in the Championship. I don't think there's too many other left-backs in the Championship that championship that would take over him, but some really seem to, to have a dislike for him. Well, let's talk about that first goal, Pete, because I've seen some people trying to pin that on him. I can't get my head around this. I mean, for for me... Both Townsend and Sarmiento. Um, it's obviously Fatawu who goes down that uh, that that uh, Leicester right, our left. Connor and 
Sarmiento do the right thing. They double up on Fatawu. They get, they don't give him the option of going down the line, which is obviously what he wants to do. Now, the problem for me comes that Ndidi uh, makes, uh, makes a, a really good diagonal run into the channel where Fatawu can just lay the ball down the line. Now, if we if we if we're appointing blame, and if we absolutely have to appoint blame, for me, it's Moat take it is too slow to react to the run of Undidi. He doesn't he doesn't see it. Undidi gets just that fraction ahead of Moat, which means that Moat not only can't go with Undidi, but he also can't get there quickly enough to um to stop the cross. And then the other area of fault a little bit is when the ball comes into the into the middle. For some reason, Kipre and Ajayi are both marking one player, which leaves Kian and Dewsbury Hall's run completely un, uh, untracked. And for me, in that area, it, you can't go. Uh, it's difficult to go man for man marking. You've got to you've got to be doing a bit of zonal work. And I don't really understand why Kipre and Ajayi are as close to each other as as they are when that ball comes in, which leaves a gaping hole for Kian and Dewsbury Hall. I do think from Leicester's point of view, if we'd scored that goal, I think you'd be looking at it and saying that's a really, really good goal. You know, I mean, obviously, Fatawu gets doubled up on, which means that there's got to be a spare player somewhere on the pitch. So, uh, and Didi makes uh, makes the makes the extra man by making making the run from midfield, and then your second central midfielder is the one making the run into the box. I think you've got uh, I think you've got to look at that as absolutely tremendous attacking play from midfield if you were analysing it from a Leicester point of view. But of course we're not, and if you're going to analyse it from an Albion point of view and find and find fault, as I say, the the, the players at fault for me are Moat for being a little bit lackadaisical to track Undidi's run and therefore can't get there in time to stop the cross. And Ajayi and Kipre in the middle, who are, as I say, too close together and, and both marking one player, so neither of them can cut out the, the, the cross in an area which, you know, whilst Kin and Dewsbury Hall is not their man, zonally speaking, when a ball is played into that area, you've got to be looking for one of your centre halves to to win that ball. But again, I mean, Connor Townsend from some has been cutting flack for that for that goal for for what? Because it, be, it because he stands up for Tawu. What? I mean, that's exactly what you want him to do in that situation. And as I say, there is a small amount of blame to be apportioned. But I don't. I also don't think that every time a team concedes a goal that there is always blame to be apportioned. I think sometimes you do have to look at it and give credit to the opposition and say that that is a very, very, very good goal scored by some very, very good players. Wilfred and Deedy, Kieran and Dewsbury Hall, these guys are too good to be in this division. Way too good to be in this division. And the way that they've worked that goal is absolutely fantastic. If you want to apportion a bit of blame, as I say, could Moat do better? Yes. Could Kipre and Ajayi do better? Yes. But I think it's one of the better goals that will be scored against us this season. And I don't massively hammer anyone for it. But I tell you, the one player I 110% don't hammer for it is Connor Townsend, who does his job. Yeah, I think it's a stage in the game where both of our central midfielders are putting so much work to, well, to work defensively and get forward. And it's something that Corbin mentioned in his post-match interviews that at times, they both had to jump onto the Leicester centimetres when we were pressing, so push really high up and kind of out of their shape just to stop Leicester building up, and then they had to drop back in. So they put in, they're really putting the miles, and I think by that point they were they were tiring. 
I mean, no, it's not the quickest anyway, but I think after however long that had been in the game, 60 minutes, 70 minutes, I think he was yeah, definitely tiring, which might be kind of the, the reason he was a bit slow to react to Ndidi. And then... Does does Keenan Dewsbury Hall have the same power cell in his body that the Terminator does, Pete? Because he doesn't he doesn't seem to do fatigue in the way that a normal human being does. The guy seems like he can just run at full tilt all day. I mean, he's he's unbelievable. Unbelievable with his energy and with his quality. But I think when he ghosted into the box, you've got to maybe be looking at Yakuzhlu to see who's who he's picking up because you know it's his it's, it's his like for like. It's the central midfielder. You think maybe he should be picking him up, and isn't? I guess he's defending space, but space that nobody's trying to occupy. It's more for the case of when the ball, if the ball gets defended, it might drop in that area, and then he can clear it. Um, but I think he's got to be more aware to the to the people coming into the box because um, Furlong can't deal with the two at that back post. And like I say, that I think the two centre backs, Kipro's kind of defending defending the zone of that front post. Ajayi's with the man. I think it's Iheanacho. He's following the man, but as soon as the Leicester striker makes the movement towards that front post, it draws a jai with him, and then you've got the two centre backs stood next to each other with a with a big gap at the far post where Furlong's got two men to defend. Um, so it's yeah, there's a lot that went on, but I think the main thing you've got to say about the goal is it was a, a really well worked goal by Leicester, and I don't think too many teams in the league would have would have stopped that because it's just I mean the two central midfielders running from deep to um, kind of create that goal is is really hard to pick up anyway. Um, and I mean the quality of the cross was it was inch perfect. So it was it was a really good goal. And I don't think I mean the same for for both the goals that Leicester scored. I don't don't think we should be really looking at specific Albion players to blame because I don't think there really is anyone to to single out for either. Away days are great. There's nothing quite like playing at home especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. And I have to say, Pete, overall, it was a, it was a pretty good display. I mean, we, we've, we've largely matched, more than matched at times, the, 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 the best team in the league. And they, they are the best team in the league. I mean, they're miles better than anybody, anybody else I've seen this season. And... You know, the the overall XG, 1.0 to us, 1.3 to Leicester. But interesting to note that 0.88 of Leicester's XG came from their goal. 0.5 came from ours. So neither team has really created a great deal outside of the goals that, that, that they've scored, which just goes to show you how how even the game was over, uh, over the course of over the course of the piece. And, you know, 
I, I, both teams, uh, we've we hit the post with uh, with Kipre. They've hit the outside of the uh, of the post with with one from Mavadidi as well. But th- there just wasn't much in the game. There wasn't there wasn't really any any chances of of high xg value or anything anything like that throughout the course of the uh, throughout the course of the match and except for the three goals uh, that that were scored which just seemed to be the moments in the match where 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 the where the two teams could turn it on and i suppose i suppose in the end what it comes down to is that they had just that little bit more more quality than than us in those moments i mean i don't think we can call our goal quality in terms of how it happened but our goal is a testament to our team's grit and determination keeping the ball alive which we've spoken about a few times this season which is something new something we've not really seen from Albion in previous seasons where we've scored a few goals from these sorts of situations where balls come into the box and we keep it alive and and between Swift, Kipre and Ajayi we just keep it alive long enough for for Maja to stab it home, which you know it's a completely different kind of goal to the one that that Leicester or the two goals that Leicester scored. But it it is testament to who we are and how we can cause cause teams problems. We can score goals through quality play as well as we as we showed on uh, on Tuesday night, and we will come to the Cardiff game in a little bit. But I think overall, Pete, when you when you look at the course of the piece. We have matched Leicester completely bar two moments, two moments of real quality, one of which is a little bit of our own doing from overambition to try and win the game very, very late on. And the other of which the first goal is purely down to real, real, real quality from Leicester. And I think it's important to emphasise we ain't going to come up against Leicester City every week. I, I, I'm not sat here. I, look, obviously yesterday, and uh, you might have seen a couple of quite emotional tweets from me after the game. Obviously, look, I, I'm an Albion fan. I, I, I live and breathe this club, and and I go away from the games, and and sometimes, I, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty upset, and uh, and I think I, 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 and I, I did. I stand by what I said earlier. It felt like a gut punch. It really did because you know you celebrate that Maja goal in the 89th minute, and you think you know we're going to get a really really good point here against easily the best team in the league there aren't many there aren't many teams going to take points off these this uh, this season and this is going to be a big big result for us and then to you know to lose it the way we did in the 93rd 94th minute is is a real killer but you know i've had 24 hours since then to to sort of digest it and everything like that and i can't help but think there's just so much so so many positives in the fact that other than two moments, one of which, as I say, is highly avoidable if we're not throwing throwing uh, throwing the kitchen sink a little bit at them. Really, Leicester have only created one real moment in that game of their own making. A, a moment that I don't think I don't think any of the other twenty three teams in this league could produce with any sort of regularity. I include us in that. I, I think I think Leicester have Premier League quality in abundance, and I look at players like. Kin and Dewsbury Hall. Uh, I mean, Harry Winks is an England international. He's, he, he, you know, uh, uh, been a Tottenham player. Has played in the Champions League for crying out loud, and and he's playing in the blooming Championship. I mean, what's going on? Like Kin and Dewsbury Hall should be playing for a top ten club in the Premier League. There's not, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind about that for one second. And and you 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 know to have a club in the Championship with these players, 
I think man for man, they're, 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 they're far better than even Burnley were last season. So for us to have played the game that we have against them and, and been as good as them for the vast majority of the game, I just think we have to take enormous positives uh, from that. And I don't think we should be looking for people to blame, players to put down. We should be looking at that match and saying, if we play like that against the vast majority of teams in this in this division, as we regularly do, giving next to no chances to people in games, then we're going to win the vast majority of uh, matches, which we are doing at the moment. Look at our results. Look at our run of form. You know, we, we're giving nothing away in terms of... Uh, in terms of defensive numbers, I mean, I, I had I had a little look at this uh, earlier today in in sort of preparation for the uh, for the pod. In terms of our, our our xG numbers, we've we've won the xG battle in ten of our last twelve games. I mean, it, you know, our, our numbers at the at the minute are absolutely absolutely brilliant. We've got eight eight clean sheets in the in the last in in the last. 12 games and whilst our uh, our defensive numbers are really really good you know we've we've also only failed to uh, to build up at least one xg in one game so uh, again out of the last out of the last 12 so there's not really anything to be particularly negative about what what we're doing generally in games at the moment is we're creating just about enough xg to win them as long as we're tight at the back, which we are, and we're not we're not giving teams um, chances. I mean, there's there's an unbelievable stat uh, that I have to credit not the top twenty podcast for, um, although although I I know I know you got name checked on there, Pete. So I don't know whether this is your stat and they've borrowed it from you and I'm giving it back to them. But um, but we we are the only club in the entire division that has not uh, conceded more than four shots on target in a single game. I think the next best is Leicester, who've conceded five or more shots on target in a game three times this season. It hasn't happened to us once yet. That's how good we are defensively, and we're creating at least one XG per game. So we're going to win the vast majority of games. But unfortunately, on Saturday, we came up against a team who are just too good for this league, and they're probably going to beat most teams. But we came within hair's breadth of taking something off them. And whilst this is going to sting and it's going to hurt for a little while, you've got to see the positives in that, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. And that's probably why I don't feel too down about it because the only, it was a it was a gamble that decided the game. If, you know, toss a coin, if it come up heads, then we would have beat the league leaders. Came up tails, so we lost. And there's so many positives to take from the actual game. And like you say, if you take away the, the goal that they got at the end that came from that gamble take away that chance then you know we created more ch- created better chances had a higher xg than them um if you look at possession i think in terms of actual possession they dominated the ball they had about 59% but when you look at field tilt so a bit more meaningful possession possession in the final third i think we had um we had 56% and we had a high, yeah so we we had a higher field tilt than Leicester did um we had the ball more often in more dangerous areas and we just yeah we really limited them to to very few chances and if it hadn't been for that gamble, then we could have easily walked away with a point. If we decided that we're not going to gamble, we're just going to take the point, then I'm sure we would have come away with one point. We took the gamble, it didn't come off, and but there's so many positives to actually take from the performance, and I think the players will. I think they'll understand that that's all it was as a gamble. It's, that's not anything to do with performance, and you can carry on the momentum from 
previous games and from that performance against the best team in the league where we matched them um, and hopefully take that into the, the games in the future without really considering that actually we lost the game um, because the performance is, is more important than that individual result. You look at the numbers regularly, Pete. I just want to dwell slightly on that statistic. The only team in the league to have not conceded more than four shots on target in a single game yet this season. Just put it into perspective. How hard to do is that? Yeah, I can't take credit for that um, statistic. I was only name-checked for my dashboard tool that they used in one of their pieces. Um, I'm not the top 20. But in terms of not conceding, was it more than four shots on target in any game? Yeah. Every, um, every team in the league has conceded five or more shots on target in at least one. Well, in fact, actually at least three games this season bar us who haven't conceded more than four in a single match. Yeah, that's that's brilliant for the defence. Um, I don't tend to use shots on target too much, but I mean, even, even if you look at the expected goals against, I think we're second in the, we've got the second tightest defence when you look at that. I think it was, it must be a dream for Alex Palmer um, to know that he's got that in front of him. And then when, when teams do get past defence and have a, a shot on target, so often Alex Palmer comes out on top. I think there was one against Cardiff, I think, where he came out and came out so quickly and managed to... Josh Bowler, yeah. I can't remember the exact chance. It's just sticking in my head that he came out so quickly and managed to stop the shot or just yeah, get his body in front of Yeah, 33rd minute, Josh Bowler, because <laughs> I, did, I did the XG data earlier. But uh, yeah, brilliant save. There was that one and then against Leicester as well. There was, um, again, I can't remember the specifics about how it came about, but I think they had a shot from an angle on the, the right side of the box and he, he managed to get the stop there and then kind of parry the ball away after it bounced up after that. And it, it was just a really big save. Um, and he seems to make them whenever he's caught up on, despite a lot of the time not having too much to do. Well, it's, I mean, it's great only conceding a maximum of four shots on target in, in any game, Pete, because what that would mean if you've got David Button in goal is that you would only concede two goals a match, which, you know, is is is, is great, obviously. Yeah, that is true. I couldn't let this fly without having a go at David. But sorry, David. You, you, you it, not that you probably pay any attention to the things I or this podcast says, but if you do, you must hate me. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be so nasty and vindictive to to one man. But I'm, I'm sorry, you you just ruined my football watching experience for about for for, for about three months, and I'm just I'm just not over it yet. Um, so. Give me a give me a little bit of time. Give me a little bit of time. W- one player that I do want to want to talk about specifically from the Leicester game, Pete, and I mean not just from the Leicester game because I think you, you interestingly you mentioned him earlier on when we were talking about how Connor Townsend is a bit of a subject of the Boo Boys ire at this moment in time, and you said possibly one of the reasons that Connor Townsend might be getting a little bit more stick is because they can't really give any grief to Darnell Furlong at the moment. He was absolutely fantastic in this football match. I mean, he his numbers his numbers stack up nicely. He's won he's won the most tackles um, of, of of any of any Albion player. But I think this is one of the ones where, and he's obviously put the throwing in for the for the goal. But this is one of the ones where you have to look at you you do have to actually watch the game to appreciate how good Darnell Furlong is because we talk about things like a, a statistic like we we haven't conceded four shots on target in a single game this season well I'll tell you right now 
we would have conceded four shots on target in this game were it not for Darnell Furlong because there are two magnificent blocks in the first half on Mavadidi shots. And Darnell Furlong, the athleticism of him, the, the, the pace and the awareness to react to situations. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I've, I'll, I'll hold my hands up. I've been a doubter of Darnell Furlong in the past. I've wondered whether or not he, he was good enough. Um, I, you know, I've, I've potentially wanted to look at alternatives at, at right back. We obviously had a spell where Daro Shea was playing there, and I, I wondered whether that was a better long-term solution than, than Darnell Furlong. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I've, I've been one who hasn't been a hundred percent sure whether he is, whether he's quite good enough. I think I, I'm going to have to eat, eat a chunky slice of humble pie on on that one because at the moment. I can't fault anything he's doing. I think I think some of his passing out of our defence because he he seems to move a little bit more centrally when we're in possession and because it's like Corbran wants to get him a little bit more involved in the in the play going forward. And I think some of his passing is really important in in the way that we play. But the big thing for me is his defending at the moment, Pete. I think he's so important to what we do because. It's so hard for t- we've we've generally played quite a high line as you as you know, and it's so hard for teams to play the ball in behind us with Darnell Furlong because he's so aerially good. He gets up, he he stops things, and when and when teams do get in behind us, when teams do manage to manage to actually get into an area where they can get a shot away, it's just like Darnell Furlong appears. Uh, like like the shopkeeper and Mr. Ben, for those of you who are of a certain age, appears as if by magic. And he just pops up out of nowhere and suddenly blocks the shot. And it, 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 he did that twice to Mavadidi, who, who both times must have thought, I'm in here, I'm going to get this shot away. And if I get this shot away, it's got a pretty good chance of troubling Alex Palmer. He's either going to like have to palm it into a dangerous area or maybe even the shot has a, has a little bit of luck to it and, and finds its way into the net. But Furlong just, as I say, he he has a thou shalt not pass attitude. And, and, I, and I, I think that that gets... Because he he seems to be one of the quieter members of the squad. He doesn't he doesn't seem to be a a guy who 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 thumps his chest and screams and shouts as he as he goes about his business. He seems to be seems to be quite cool, calm, and collected. I think I, I think people it, it's easy to underestimate how committed to his role Darnell Furlong is. And I think one of the one of the big things in it, when when you're a defender is how prepared are you to put your body on the line and. Darnell Furlong, for me at the moment, is one of the best in the division when it comes to will he chuck his body in front of stuff? Will he? Will it, it, how how committed are you to the opposition not scoring goals? And I think all of our defenders are massively committed to that. I'm I'm sure they're massively aware of the of, of the shots record. I'm sure they're massively aware of the clean sheets record. I'm sure they're massively aware of the xG data, and I, and I imagine they're extremely proud of it as well. And so they should be, but at times. Darnell Furlong is the one that I would pick out in recent weeks who possibly because Kipre quite rightly is getting a lot of plaudits and yet nobody seems to be talking about Furlong and I don't understand why and this is not me putting down Kipre because I think he's he deserves every plaudit he's getting at the moment and and the same with Bartley who's been talked up a lot in in recent weeks as well Pete but 
for me, Darnell Furlong has been as good, if not better, than those players. And yet nobody seems to be talking about it. And I don't understand why, because for me, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, you're right. Those two blocks that he made in the first half were crucial. And like you say, he just kind of seemed to come out of nowhere. His acceleration is is really impressive to just cover that ground and, and make that block. Because quite often he was getting pulled quite narrow and then they just switch the ball over to the, that far side to MVD do. That's how you say his name. Um, so it'd be, you'd have to get across really quickly and he did it, did it whenever it was needed and managed to make those blocks because without that, he could easily have conceded a goal there or two. And then in possession, he was, he was just playing in such tight areas, played really nice football. There's a couple of, um, just, you know, short pass combination kind of things that were going on down that right. And, with Leicester pressing high as well, it had to be perfect. Touches had to be perfect. And Furlong really impressed me with how he was getting involved with that. Um, not just out wide, but also kind of in that inverted role where he just plays a little bit narrow sometimes. And to get past Grady quite quite often as well in the first half to support the attacks. Um, he was just up and down that pitch nonstop. So I thought it was a really impressive performance from him. And in general, in recent weeks, like you say, he's been really good. Um, I've always thought he's a very good fullback for um, this division and similar to Townsend I don't think there's too many too many right backs in the division that I'd rather have over Furlong um, because I think he does offer a lot just to go back to the how he played with the ball as well something that I didn't mention is his decision making to go long and relieve the pressure when necessary and not try and play out of situations where maybe Leicester have got the better of us in their press and you know we're one pass away from giving the ball away in a, a cheap area um, dangerous area so I think he made the right decision to go along when it needed it. And other times he played in tight areas really well and, and didn't give the ball away too much. So on the whole, yeah, very impressive performance. And I mean, if you had to give a man of the match out, he's he's definitely in for a shout with it. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt for me, he was he was our man of the match by, by a mile. I, I do want to talk about an, another player, Pete, who has had, for me, a little bit more of a more of a difficult week um and that's and that's Brandon Thomas Asante I, I just never felt he got into the game on Saturday he had 15 touches of the ball which is the least of any player on the pitch who played more than 15 minutes um uh, for Tawu who who only played the last 30 still had more than Brandon who played the entire match um he obviously had to come on against um uh, against uh, Cardiff uh, because Jed Wallace got injured very early on. And ju- by the way, just a note on that in the Cardiff game, we'll talk about the Cardiff game a little bit more broadly in just a moment. I mean, you see the amount of little silly fouls that referees give these days. And yet Jed Wallace doesn't even get a foul for getting absolutely poleaxed by McGuinness in the, in the first minute. It was it was a disgraceful challenge. It, he absolutely thumped through the back of him and has ended up putting him out of the rest of that game and putting him out of the, the, the Leicester game as well. And it's, you know, I, I'm just staggered, staggered that the that, that referees, the, the inconsistency of referees, and I thought the referee against Leicester was appallingly inconsistent as well. He had absolutely no bearing on the result. I'm not blaming us losing on him by any stretch of the imagination. But the, the, the appalling level of inconsistency you see from referees at this level is is embarrassing, to be honest, week on week at, at, at this point. And how the uh, referees are there to, to some degree to protect the players and how the referee has not decided that 
it's important that he that he protects Jed Wallace in that moment. I mean, obviously, he's not going to be able to change the fact that um, that that Jed's been smashed, but uh, but at least it lays down a marker. If you if you if you give the foul and book that player, at least he can't do it again in in the game. So it protects other players. But so I thought he was negligent in his duties, the referee. But obviously, Brandon came on for him, and I thought had a tricky game against against Cardiff. The thing with Brandon at the moment, Pete, is that whilst his dribbling data is pretty good, um, I mean he's struggling so much in front of goal, isn't he? I mean you look at you look at that Cardiff game and. The one chance he has is 0.86 xG, the one which he puts over, um, where he just gets up far too early. I mean, to, for anybody who doesn't completely understand the xG, what that means is that the, the data shows that 86 players out of 100 would score that chance. Now, that means you've got to score. You've got to score. And he had another really big chance as well from from a similar sort of position uh, in in that game. I mean, he, he's. We won the game one nil, fair play. But Brandon's got to, got to put that put that away, and and uh, and then, like I say, he was just he was just a little bit anonymous against Leicester. And I know part of it will be to do with the fact that Leicester are, are a high quality team, and it's difficult to get the ball into areas to feed Brandon. But I, I just think he's really struggling in that position. And now Maj has popped up and got his got his goal. I mean, especially especially given who we play next as well, away at away at Sunderland, Maj's old old stomping ground, where I I imagine given the way he, he departed the club, I imagine he won't get a very nice reception. But nonetheless that might fire somebody like Josh Majer up. I think he's I think he's too cool, calm and collected to get um to get flustered by it. I'd I'd be I'd be enormously tempted to 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 start Josh Majer. And I don't mean that in the sense of as a punishment to Brandon Thomas Asante, because I don't think there's anything to punish. I think Brandon is trying his best. Um, I don't think when when I say his touches are low, he's being uh, he's being lazy or anything like that in games. I just I just think he is massively massively struggling when it comes to it comes to confidence. And 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 this for me is um, evident in his dispossessed data. So. Against Southampton, Ipswich, Cardiff and Leicester, he was dispossessed four times, three times, four times and three times. In the opening, what's that, um, 10 games of the season, he was never dispossessed more than twice. I just don't feel like he's that confident with the ball at his feet at the moment, Pete. I think I think it's showing up in the data. I think he's it's causing him to miss chances like the ones against Cardiff that he otherwise really, really should score. And... I I I think he's I think he's a young man who for me at the moment looks looks low on confidence and I I I think now we've got Maja back and hopefully got Maja back to a level of fitness where you would honestly believe you can get an hour 70 minutes out uh, out of Josh Maja I I think I think Brandon needs protecting a little bit and taking out the firing line what do you think Yeah I think um he maybe does look a little bit um lacking in confidence when he's receiving the ball he's not as tidy as with with it as he has been and sometimes can give it away a bit cheaply but I think what he offers in terms of pressing is is huge and the energy that he has for that to defend from the front and because it's not a, a shot creating action and assist whatever statistic you want to look at it to quantify it because it's not going to show up in that I feel like sometimes he doesn't get the credit that he deserves for his work in the pressing like there was a couple of chances that we created uh, or almost created, should have created um, from Leicester giving the ball away in their their own defensive third. And I think everyone involved in that press 
deserves credit for that. Um, and Brandon is quite often the one leading it, and he must get through so many miles pressing about and running about pressing, um, but also intelligently. Quite often, him and and Swift would just be standing still a lot of the time. Just when we are sitting into that um, deeper block, they kind of just be shutting off the options into the central areas and not not pressing. So he, I think, he understands what Corbran wants from him. He does it really well as well with the pressing. Um, he doesn't at the minute. He's not getting enough chances. His finishing hasn't been great, but it's not. He's not massively underperforming in front of goal. He's just not really getting enough chances, um, and that's partly on on him and partly on us creating chances as well. But he's also, as well as pressing, he's also an outlet in t- terms of putting balls in behind um, and hassling defenders. I think he's probably, from what I've seen, he looks quicker than the Madra, more mobile and and more likely to get get something out of a defender from just kind of a ball into the channel. Um, so. If a team's pressing us higher, then he's an outlet in terms of that, instead of just maybe going directly into his chest and him protecting it with his back to goal. So he's got his his positives. I think I would be tempted to start Madger up at Sunderland. You know, he's got his first goal. It's going to give him a bit of confidence. And I think he's a really, really talented footballer. He's got more ability with the ball at his feet than Thomas Asante does. But it all depends on how Corbran wants to set up, because I don't think he's going to be, I don't think is going to be as good um, or as, as effective as Brandon Thomas Asante is when we're trying to press high and win the ball back high up the pitch. An interesting decision for him, for him to make. Certainly, certainly one to one to consider. I think there'll be there'll be other interesting decisions as well, Pete. And one of those will probably be who else to play in the attacking areas. I mean, of course, one of the options available to Corbran is that he could he could play both of them as he did towards the end of that game. And I do think Brandon looks a better player much as much as he did at, at Bristol City with Major alongside him uh, as well and that's that's certainly an option that we that we shouldn't forget that is that is available to Carlos Corbran and I suppose part of that decision will be what do you do with Jeremy Sarmiento he started the last two games he obviously scored an absolute worldie against Cardiff let me put that in perspective how how unlikely that goal is to uh, to uh, to go into the back of the net, zero point zero two xg, which is um, extreme, extremely low. Let's let's just say you uh, you if you took that shot um, uh, two hundred times, I think it's fair to say it would it, it would go in uh, it would go in a it would uh, it wouldn't go in one hundred ninety eight of them. So it's it's not a shot that goes in a lot. It's an absolutely fantastic goal, but it's interesting to say, Pete, that. And I think because uh, you and I were messaging during uh, during the game, um, and Sarmiento actually made us look a little bit stupid from the from the WhatsApp conversation that we were having. That because um, we, we were saying, you know, he he needs to get more into this game. He's not really been in it. I actually don't think he played particularly well at Cardiff outside of the goal, and I think he I I think he's had an interesting week because he's been he he's been a game changer for us, but. I mean, he didn't. He didn't actually complete any uh, uh, any of his any of his dribbles against uh, against Cardiff. Sorry, any of his take ons against Cardiff. It's interesting because I mean, this is a quirk of the data because, of course, people will say, "Well, he beat his man for the goal," but the data 
needs him to beat the man in a forward direction because he cut back inside. It doesn't count as a, as a successful take on. And I'm well aware that that's a quirk of the data, especially when you've got a player playing on the left who's going to come back on his right foot. So possibly the data's being a little bit unfair on him there, Pete. But generally speaking, certainly in that first half, I didn't think he had a massive impact uh, on uh, on the game. And I'm not sure he really impacted the game against Leicester in the way that, I would have kind of hoped that that he would certainly not certainly not to the same degree that Dean Garner, who you know, comparing him with a with a with a reasonably similar position in a, a similar player in a similar position to him, I don't think he managed to impact the game. I think at the moment Sarmiento is out there for moments such as he produced against uh, Cardiff, such as he produced against Middlesbrough. These just absolute moments of of brilliance. In terms of what I'm seeing from Jeremy Sarmiento more generally, do I believe I'm seeing consistency from him? No, and I suppose then that brings you to the to, to the to the question, the million dollar question, the one that Corbran unfortunately has to answer, and I don't. Of is it worth the risk of putting Jeremy Sarmiento out there if you know that what you're going to see from him is not necessarily consistent over the course of a ninety minutes, but you can be fairly confident that when he does turn it on, it's going to be something pretty spectacular and something that you that, that next to no other player in this division could produce. Or do you would you rather have somebody else more consistent out there? Now, the the, the obvious the other the other sticking point with this is that is that Corbran might not necessarily have the same level of option as to whether or not to pick Sarmiento because. In the last two games, we've had Jed Wallace get injured to the point where he's, he was out against Leicester. And then we've obviously had Matt Phillips limp off uh, after 45 minutes against Leicester, uh, against Leicester as well. So his options in terms of attacking wide players are more limited than they were a week ago. But he does still have choices in in the sense that, you know, as I say, he could play Major and uh, and Thomas Asante. There's Swift. There's Grady Dean Garner. I think it, it's it, if those injuries to Wallace and Phillips are, are lasting, I think the chances are that we will see a little bit more from Sarmiento. I think if they were fit, I'm not sure we would because I'm I've got a funny feeling that um, Corbram might, especially against a side like Sunderland, look for somebody with a little bit more consistency. It'll be interesting to see over the course of the season, Pete, whether Sarmiento can get that consistency to his game. And if he can, he'll be something absolutely frightening in this league. But at the moment, what what I'm seeing from the guy is moments of brilliance, but also fairly sustained periods of quite frustrating um, football, which doesn't necessarily produce a great deal. Are you Are you seeing the same as me? I think I'm seeing somebody who's just not very sharp at the minute. He wasn't playing too consistently at the start of the season. Then he had, you know, a few weeks out with his injury, and he's come back in, and he just looks like he's lacking sharpness. Like simple things aren't going right, um, but the kind of things where you, I'm not think, I'm not questioning his ability as a footballer. I'm just thinking maybe he needs a, a few games just to to get back used to the speed of things and and get playing like he should be because he's still obviously got the. I mean, you see the goal at, at Cardiff. Um, still got that quality. I think on Sky Sports in the Leicester game, they were saying that Michael Heffley had been telling everyone it was it was a cross rather than a shot. But I think Samuel claimed it as a shot, so we'll take that. Um, but he's still got the 
I think that's got to be banter from Hef, mate. That, the, the, I mean, also having watched having watched Sarmiento quite a bit, I'm not sure I've actually seen him put a cross in yet. I think I think he always shoots in those positions, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with it. It's a, a shot, and especially after hearing what Michael Hefley is like behind the scenes, um, I think he quite likes a joke. So uh, yeah, Sarmiento, I think he's just a little bit a little bit rusty. Needs a bit of time and. I think the more he plays, the the much the better he's going to look against Cardiff. Again, he made a few simple mistakes, but what I was I thought we were missing more um, was the defensive ability of Matty Phillips because that's who Samianta came in to to replace. If you like, um, I thought we missed that and we didn't look as solid down that left side as we usually did. But then I think in the second half of the Leicester game, Samianta made a, a much better impression on me for his defensive performance. I think he was much more disciplined and understood his role. Most most tackles won by an Albion player, Pete. 100% of his tackles won three from three. Okay, I didn't know that stat, but it doesn't really surprise me. Because um, in the press, he was good as well. Earlier in the season, he, I thought, especially in that first, the opening game away at Blackburn, I thought he looked a little bit lazy when we didn't have the ball. But his pressing against Leicester was, was good. Um, and then when we had to sit in as well, I think he had the discipline and understanding of when to go and when to stay and just hold your shape. So that's less of a worry for me now. And after that defensive performance from him, I think there's more reason to start him than there was before. Because once he starts showing that, then you can give him the freedom of um, of then, you know, he's got a bit more room to, to go and do his magic and produce, you know, wonderful stuff like he did against Cardiff. So I think, I think Corbrand will stick with him. Um, obviously, We've got Tom Fellows as well, who's been very good when he's come on. Um, I think he's probably got less in his locker than what Sarmiento has. Fellows, you know, he's very often looking to cross it, and his crosses have been brilliant. That one to the back post to Swift, I think, was just perfect um, against Leicester and then in other games as well. But I think Sarmiento, I can understand Sarmiento being ahead of uh, Fellows in the pecking order. And to be fair, you just look at where they were playing last season. Sarmiento was getting minutes in the Premier League and and Fellows was down in League One or League Two, which is no slight on on Fellows. He's still developing, and he's looking like a very promising player. But I think Sarmiento is just ahead of him right now, and and that's understandable. But when Fellows comes on, he makes a, a good impact. Do you think Sarmiento is going to, in a weird sort of a way? I'm not saying the injuries are are a positive, but do you think they could benefit Sarmiento? Where if Phillips and Wallace were fit at the moment, that that Sarmiento might actually get rotated a little bit more in the in in the weeks leading up to Christmas but and obviously we, we don't fully know the extent of the of the injuries at the, at the moment but if those players aren't available aren't both available for for the next next few weeks that Jeremy Sarmiento is going to get more football than he otherwise would and and that you know you talk about sharpness and that 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 might end up really benefiting his 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 sharpness yeah it could definitely be a, a good situation for him because if he's playing more I think he'll start to look better because he'll be doing the simple things and make them look as easy as they should do. And he might just play his way into the team so much that you know he becomes almost undroppable for the time that the, the players that are out injured come back. So in Sarmiento's eyes, I think this should be seen as a real opportunity for him to really nail down his place in the, the starting eleven and, and make it difficult for the likes of Wallace and Phillips when they are back to to get back into that starting eleven. You touched on John Swift before, and I just I just want to talk about the week that he's had, Pete, because 
I, I mean, you talk about you, it was interesting. The incident that that caused you to talk about John Swift was was obviously the um the the, the cross the back post where from Tom Fellows, which John Swift has took some stick on social media for because I mean he he basically he tried to he tried to control it. He's obviously the ball's lifted up on him and he's ended up kind of effectively doing two kickups before not getting the shot away. And there was a lot of frustration from Albion fans. It was late in the game. It could have won us the match. And there was a lot of people feeling he, he should have just swung a leg at it. And in, in hindsight, he probably, he probably should have done. Although, I mean, I was right behind it. I do understand what he was trying to do. He, the ball was a little bit close to him and he couldn't get the backlift he wanted to get the, to get the shot away i do think overall he made a mistake um and should have just got some sort of a shot away because in that crowded penalty area it could have gone absolutely anywhere but i mean it, it just it just, as i say that with certain players it seems and john swift again seems like another one that we've had to stick up for on this pod more than we probably should it it seems to then snowball into more than it probably should it, it more than it probably should be and it, it turns into greater criticism and i don't really understand it i mean if i just want to talk about john swift's week generally i have to say against cardiff i thought i thought he looked miles off it i was interested to see the data that he still he still had the uh, had the most shot creating actions of any albion player and he he, he obviously had a goal creating action in there as well because he he's the one that gives the ball to Sarmiento. Now, I'm not saying for one second that John Swift can take a great deal of a great deal of credit for that goal because I don't think even John Swift imagines that when he gives that ball to Sarmiento in that position that Sarmiento is going to do what he does next. But that being said, somebody does have to give the ball to Jeremy Sarmiento for him to score that goal. So, you know, you have to give him some credit, if not a great deal of credit for 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 that he and as far as the numbers are concerned he still does get a goal creating action but i i thought he looked rusty against uh, cardiff in midweek i thought he looked exactly like what he is a player that's just come back from a few weeks out injured and uh, i i didn't think he looked sharp i didn't think he looked particularly at it and it was interesting. Just before the teams were announced, um, I, 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 I saw one of the Albion fan accounts um, had, had put out their their starting eleven, and and I, I think it was Clint actually. And I I went back to him and and said um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be starting Swift. I thought he was miles off it on on Tuesday. And then the team came out, and and John Swift was dropped, and I wasn't overly surprised. It was it was what I would have uh, what I would have done. Not saying Corbran and I are of a like mind, because uh, I, I I can only wish to be that brilliant in terms of thinking about football. But when I thought when John Swift had to come on for Matt Phillips during the game, I thought he made a really big difference against Leicester. Yeah, he's took some stick for the for the one at the back post in injury time where he probably should get a shot away. But again, he's 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 um had the second most shot creating actions and he's only played forty five minutes. He's had I think he had the second most progressive passes behind um behind okay Koslu as well in the game. And again, he's only played forty five minutes. I thought he I thought in that first half, whilst we obviously hit the post from 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 the set play where Kipre stabs it towards goal, I didn't think we really looked a threat 
much from open play. I thought we looked a much better side in in the second half, and I thought a lot of that was to do with the fact that John Swift was was on on the pitch. I thought we became a much more progressive side, and I I, I really do. I am tempted to just write off the Cardiff performance from from Swift because I just think he probably needed that hour to try and get back into the rhythm of things and. I was pretty impressed with what I with what I saw from him um against uh, against Leicester when when he came back on I I felt that we'd got we'd got John Swift back at least towards if not completely there towards the level where we need him I think I think it could be it could be a, a couple of weeks before we get John Swift back to the completely to the level that he was at when he got injured against Birmingham because I think he was playing to an unbelievably high level at that at that point in time. I would I would go as far as to say that at that moment in time he was he was one of the best attacking players in the championship. Without you know, I'm not going to say the best because I I, I realise there's obviously an argument for people like Kin and Dewsbury Hall and, uh, and and people like that. But I think he was up there as one of the best attacking players and most productive attacking players in the championship when he got injured. I don't think he's quite back there yet, but I thought. Cardiff was a really rusty performance from him, and I, I thought that um, that Leicester was a really, really productive performance from him. And it surprises me a little bit that, and probably due to the fact that we've lost, <laughs> we've lost the, the the Leicester game and we didn't lose the Cardiff game. But he, he seems to have not got any criticism for the for the Cardiff performance, but has took criticism for the Leicester performance. And for me, it's the other way around. I thought he was. I thought he was relatively rusty against Cardiff but I thought he was showing signs of being back toward his best not at his best but back toward his best against Leicester yeah I didn't think he was great in either game to be honest um I probably agree with you that he was better in against Leicester than he was against Cardiff but I didn't think he was too impressive against Leicester um he did well to to head the ball back into a dangerous area before the just before we scored the goal against Leicester, but apart from that, he didn't. Which is know, the make... second time he's done that this season, um, you know, and that that's something that probably goes underrated about him that he he does um, he, he he does see those situations and he does keep the ball alive rather well on the edge of the box. Yeah, because I mean that's all he really did was he he kept it alive, he put it into a good area with a good weight so that you know it doesn't just go straight into the keeper's hands, and he deserves a bit of credit for that. But other than that. I don't think he completed any passes into Leicester's box. Um, he just maybe wasn't involved enough centrally. Um, most of his passes came out on the left-hand side, a couple out on the right, but not much centrally. I suppose that's more difficult, especially after Leicester get their first goal, because they're going to sit back, kind of protect that central area a bit. But... And also symptomatic of playing with a struggling Brandon as well, Pete, who who I thought had a, you know a really tough day against the Leicester centre-halves. Yeah, it's true. Um, and they're good defenders as well. You can't take that away from them. But somebody of John Swift's quality, you hope that he can kind of... I, I mean, typically he does like to drift out to the left-hand side. We saw that as soon as we signed him. But you'd hope he can get a bit more involved in central areas um, and just find those little pockets of space and then see if he can create from there, which I think he struggled to do in both games, really. Saying that, you are playing against the best team in the league, so it is always going to be difficult. Um, but if he can get back to his form pre-injury, then you know it's, there's no problems there really. Is that he's going to be one of the best attacking midfielders in the league? Again, it's probably just getting getting that match sharpness up and getting his confidence back up, and, and we can start to see the best of John Swift again. 
I mean, we talked about John Swift's had a bit of an bit of an injury layoff there, that Pete. I mean, just looking ahead to the Sunderland game, which obviously is coming up, um, it does seem like we, we, we well, it's almost like um, the the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away to a certain degree. We got it. We got a little bit excited last week, bec- uh, or on last week's uh, pod after the Ipswich game, because we looked at the bench and we said that's the best bench we, uh, Albion bench we've seen for a very long time. And you know, uh, we, we're starting to get these players back, Swift and Madger, and DK's not going to be not going to be too far away. We're even seeing people like I know people will be less excited about these but they are still they're decent players in their bodies you know Martin Kelly and Adam Reach returning to training as well you know and we, we're thinking oh we're starting to get a bit of a squad back to, uh, together and now we now we're looking ahead to the the Sunderland game we're going I mean Corbrand's confirmed that it'll be weeks with Matt Phillips so we've lost him for for a little bit we've obviously Jed Wallace wasn't fit enough to play in in this particular game. Doesn't seem like there's a long term problem with um, with Carl Bartley. I think I think um, Corbrand described the the, the injury as uh, it said it wasn't a specific injury. Said it was fatigue more than anything. But and now you've got your Koslu's picked up his fifth booking as well, so he's going to miss that game uh, against against Sunderland and. I mean, he seems to have dealt with these situations well, Corbran, um, generally speaking, when they've when they've cropped up. And it seems like whoever has come in has generally done a job. But I mean, he's he is without some important players. I mean, Bartley and Wallace are two real big leaders. Hopefully Bartley will be back for the for the for the Sunderland game. Matt Phillips has arguably been our best player over, uh, over the course of the season. And and uh, and OK, Yacoslu, I think, is whilst he is replaceable um because i think nathaniel chalaba has shown that he can do some of the things that um that okay Koslu can do i i don't think he's by any stretch that uh, discipline as disciplined and as defensively solid i think he gives us more going forward than uh, than than okay Koslu does but nonetheless i think I, I think he's i think he's a really um I think he's a really big loss going into that game. It'd be interesting to see, first of all, whether he goes with Chalaba or Molumbi. But it just seems like, that, uh, just as you start thinking, well, we're getting a few back, the, the cold weather kicks in and we lose a few. Yeah, exactly. Just as we're, we're thinking, okay, we're, we're looking good. We're looking like we've got a bit of a squad here. It gets ripped away from you and, and you lose a few. And, and now we're, again, a couple of injuries away from being in an injury crisis. So I suppose that's that's what happens when you've got a small squad and an owner that's never going to invest any money. We have got good players. It opens up opportunities for other players, like you say. Sammy Ento should be should be looking at this as a great opportunity for him, um, and so should any other players that have where well, we've got openings in the starting eleven because of these injuries. So, yeah, on the whole, you, you can't really see it as good news, but for individual players, you know, they, they can maybe see the, the little bit of light to these injuries. Um, Obviously, in an ideal situation, we want everyone fit and the most players that we can choose from. And well, Matt Phillips on on that, Pete. Just, I mean, obviously, the one who'll be really looking for an opportunity will be Jason Malumbi, who hasn't really had much of a sniff. Obviously, Yukuslu, we can one hundred percent guarantee won't play against Sunderland because that's his fifth booking, and therefore kicks in a suspension. Who would you go with, Malumbi or Chalaba? Because they they seem like it, it, realistically, it's going to be one of those two, isn't it? Yeah, you'd think so. Um, with the way they've been playing recently, I'd, I'd go with Chalaba. I think now I'm thinking I'd go with Malumbi. It's it's a really tight one. Um, I think either way that you you do it, you're more likely to have 
Alex Mertz sitting a little bit deeper because when you could lose playing, obviously they're both both the two deeper midfielders, but Mertz tends to have a bit more license to get forward. I think if you had Chalaber in, it'd be Mertz sitting a little bit deeper and Chalaber with a little bit more license to go forward because he's he's very good in that attacking third and maybe even the same with Malumbi and that's where it might fit a bit a bit better with with Moet because I think Chalaba seems to like to to drift onto the left hand side and obviously that favor, the left side favors Moet with his left foot um, whereas Malumbi loves to to get up and down that right side so it might be a, a bit better balance with uh, Malumbi and Moet as the partnership but again it, it's a tight call and I, I think I think I would go with Chalaba but it's it's a bit of a Toss of a coin for me. Um, I'm sure Corbran will be thinking about it all week and, and have a plan for it. And I, it also depends on all the other players that he wants to play as well, how it all, it all links up. But yeah, I trust Corbran to make the right decision. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm quite glad you don't have to make that decision because otherwise the the, the, the team sheet would be uh, Chalaba crossed out. No, Malumbi crossed out. Chalaba. <laughs> no, Malumbi. Can I pick them both? Because <laughs> that was kind of the way that was going. I think I'd just toss a coin about. I think I'd just toss a coin about half an hour before I needed to make the decision. I think uh, uh, I tell you what, I'd enjoy the lads' faces if you if you did that in the dressing room in front of them. That would be that would be well worth seeing. But uh, well, that uh, that is the decision that Corbram will have to make ahead of the ahead of the Sunderland game, and we will be back to talk about that. Yet another lunchtime kickoff for Albion. They seem to be in abundance at the moment. Obviously, we've got we've got this one, and then we've got. Stoke on a Sunday lunchtime as uh, as well. Uh, apparently, Albion are the thing that goes best with your dinner at the moment, your or your or your lunch. If you're if you're one of those people that's offended by referring to the uh, afternoon meal as your as your dinner, and uh, that has to be the word used to describe your your evening. But either way, Albion the perfect accompaniment with food. Who knew it? Anyway, we will be back to discuss the Sunderland game after Albion have had their trip to the northeast. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.